So I want to take you on a little journey in the Perry family for just a moment. Uh, you know, with my mom and sister here now as uh, residents of Holotus, it's always kind of fun to share with them something that they would remember. But my dad, as we went on trips, which we didn't go on many vacations, right? I remember going to Florida once, Arkansas, did, and other than that, it was relatives, I think. Yeah. But when you were in the car, he had, and he was a state trooper, so he, he knew how to spend time in a car. Uh, he had very fun ways. Uh, we played license plate poker with the numbers on the cars. And of course, if you're driving, you can kind of dictate the hand the person gets because you don't get that hand until you pass that car. So sometimes he might slow down and find that car that he likes that he passes. It's his hand. Um, we would collect the different states. If you did go on a long trip, you know, that, a lot of cars obviously from Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, Kentucky, get some of those. And if you get a, a Florida plate, that's pretty cool. But my favorite game we played was bingo. And it's much like punch buggy, those of you who have grown up doing that, without the bruises and the violence. Whenever you saw a VW Beetle, you said bingo. And dad being very competitive, if you called out bingo and it was not a Volkswagen Beetle, you lost the point. And, you know, you, crying, I mean tears, because he was also wonderful at making you feel terrible. Ha, 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 you know, and laugh. he had a laugh that would just make you melt because he was laughing because you called the wrong car and I'm going to get back up in the hat rack and lay up there for a while. Anybody remember that? Some of you know that's illegal these days. And of course, we rode without car seats, so wonder I'm still alive. But uh, the other thing he would do is he always seemed to know where the Volkswagen dealerships were. And just about the time I would doze off, I would hear, bingo, 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 and you wake up and you're once again totally frustrated because he's intentionally waited till you were asleep and he called out bingo for everybody. But um, today, uh, my family uh, knows about bingo, and I did it from childhood to adulthood. My kids were raised on it, and I hope that my grandkids will get to learn to play uh, bingo. But it's ironic, as much as I love cars, and as many cars as I've owned in my life, I have never owned a Volkswagen Beetle. I know. But I still cry out bingo when I see one. And it's also ironic that many people have never trusted Christ as their Savior. And they still call out the Lamb of the Lord, or Lamb of God, when they hear or think of Him. So... John today says that we must do more than recognize the Lamb of God. We must trust in Him. And those of you who have your Bibles, you'll know that we've been working our way these past few weeks uh, through the Gospel of John. We started off John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We understand from those first few verses that Jesus is the Word, and that Jesus is has been from the beginning part of this understanding of who the Trinity is today. We, we understand that Jesus was with God and was God, and all things were created. Nothing was created without him. So that's John the Evangelist or John the Apostle that writes. Then he kind of interrupts himself. If you know these verses, we're going to start in verse about 29, I think, today. 
But he kind of interrupts himself and talks then about John the Baptist, the one who would be the one that we're going to talk about today, who was crying in the wilderness, as we heard last week. He is saying, make the way straight for the Lord. He's crying in the desert, saying, here comes Jesus. So we talked a few weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, about us being compasses. And John, once again, says to us in these very first verses, look, the Lamb of God. So if you have your Bible, uh, I invite you to turn with me, please, to the Gospel of John. The first chapter will begin with verse 29, and we're going to go through verse 34. Wrong ones up there? Okay, we're good. 29. Somebody put 19, probably Cliff. Can you guys edit that up there? If not, you don't have to watch that. Just listen to what I, as I read. Verse 29 of John 1. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me pause for just a second. The next day. You'll notice that this is like day two of John, the apostles' accounting of the story of Jesus. He will have a day three, he'll have a day four, and then interestingly enough, and commentators love this, chapter two begins with on the third day. So it's like, is he referencing backwards or, or have we miscounted? But it says the next day, and as the King James says, it says, behold, the Lamb of God. I like that better, but J John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. That's a reference back to John 1. 1. He was before me. Jesus is younger than John the Baptist, but he was before me because he was with God and was God. Verse 31. I myself did not know him as the Messiah at the time, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Wonderful account of the same story as Matthew 3. If you're familiar with Matthew 3, uh, we read that, that uh, John there was baptizing people as they were confessing their sins, preparing the way for Jesus. Verse 32, Then John gave this testimony, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So John has a totally different take than Matthew. Remember Matthew, the heavens open up and you hear the sound, you hear the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John has the inside word, if you will, the inside story from God himself saying that the one who the dove comes down on is my anointed one. And those of you who like to do the, the animal comparisons, you've got the lamb, which is what was needed for sacrifice, those people who could afford it, and you have a dove, the poorest people. Even the poor people could usually spend the money for a dove for a sacrifice. And then finally, we have this wonderful verse, verse 34. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we lift up uh, David, as uh, Pierce has noted, that uh, uh, we know, Lord, that uh, it's a miracle that doctors and medical staff, all those who tend to him, could even do what has happened to him today, this past week on Valentine's Day, actually, for the surgery. 
But Lord, we continue to pray that you would bring healing to his body and uh, help him be able to breathe. As we read about the Holy Spirit today, which really means wind, breath, we think of your breath in his lungs. And Lord, I pray that they'd be strong right now. We also pray that your Holy Spirit, is. this word tells us that Christ would come and baptize us with the Holy Spirit. This presence, this indwelling of your Spirit in us. Don't let it be scary for some of us. I don't know what that means. And we, we, we get confused and they use big words sometimes in church for the Lord. But it's so much of your love. If we can understand that today. That you loved us enough to send yourself, your son, to redeem us. And if we place our faith in you, you leave within us that Holy Spirit. Once again... You, in us, living, powerful, understanding, forgiven, full of grace and mercy. Help us to cling to that today as we look to the Lamb of God, your Son. And we pray this, knowing you hear our prayers, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. First point of Behold the Lamb is the Lamb of God atones. As I said, the NIV says, look. But uh, the translation uh, that many of the other uh, older versions and some of the newer ones say, behold. It means basically to perceive, to attend to, to experience, um, to discern. It is a verb in the Greek that means something is going to happen. And that's kind of a good question for us today. What, what do you do with the Lamb of God? There should be action when you see the Lamb of God. If I ask you who the Lamb of God was prior to this sermon, most of you would have said what? Some of you have already been asleep by then. Jesus, you would say Jesus. But it was such a... It, it's the only time it's mentioned in the gospel. Yes, the Lamb is mentioned, but it, only John references Jesus as the Lamb of God. We know the Isaiah 53 passage about the suffering servant, and about the lamb who was led to the slaughter. We see it repeated in Acts. We see it repeated in First Peter. We see it throughout the scriptures, that same reference of a lamb. And we know about lambs in our own understanding of, of Judaism, of Jesus' day with sacrifices. But what was John really saying when he said and called out to Jesus with the term that no one really probably understood? Behold the Lamb of God. Well, <laughs> commentators have a field day on this because they can't agree at all. And typically they'll give you four or five things that it should be. And before you agree to any one of these that I will share with you, kind of hold your, hold your thoughts for a second. Was John the Baptist referring to the Passover Lamb? The Passover is going to happen very soon. You know John's gospel is a fairly compact story of the life of Jesus as opposed to the others that begin with his birth and go forward. So the Passover is coming fairly quick in this gospel. And maybe, just maybe, he was referring to Jesus. And you remember the story of the exodus of the children from Israel out of Egypt. They had to take a lamb and sacrifice that lamb, take the blood, spread it over the doorway, and then that, the death angel would cross over that family and no one would die in that home. So there are many who would say that is what John was referring to. Others were saying that 
he was referring to just typical sacrificial lambs because who was John the Baptist's dad? Do you remember? Zechariah, okay. And what was his job? He was a priest. Yeah, thank you, chaplain. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> oh, she told you the answer? Yeah, yeah. That's the way most of us get the answers. Our wife told us, you know, right? In the same way. Uh -huh. yeah. um, so he would have known John being raised by a, a preacher, if you will, as that guy was, as some of you others in here. Uh, he would know that daily lambs are sacrificed for the sins of the children of Israel. Daily. From, from the time they had the temple, they were sacrificing daily lambs for the sins of the people. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. So maybe that was his reference. Maybe, as some would say, the lamb in the age of a sheep is what? It's a baby. It's a young one, right? Maybe he was saying something about this is God's son. Well, then verse 34, hang on, turn to 4. Yeah, verse 34, I have seen and I testify that this is the son of God. So maybe he's saying the lamb, the son of God in another way. Maybe he was referring to, if you were going to get in a fight, would you rather get in a fight with a lion or a lamb? Probably a lamb. Maybe he was referring once again to his gentleness because Jesus did not come in swinging a sword. He came in healing, causing the dead to rise again, the lame to walk, the blind to see. So hold your answers on which one of those thoughts you think it was. And then I have to mention, in fact, what's so funny as I'm looking at this, it did not even save my revised uh, text no notes. So <laughs> now is when it really gets dangerous because he goes off on his own. Um, Beth, my sister, I'm called to my sister Beth. What was my aunt's name, first and second name, that was married to Abe or Albert Craig? Remember her full name? Cecil. Cecil Agnes. What a name. Grandpa and Grandma must have had a sense of humor. Cecil Agnes. Well, Grandpa and Grandpa's name were Tull, T-U-L-L, -L, that is my dad's middle name, that I call my oldest son Tull, so I got a sense of humor too, and Dovey. What's in a name? Cecil Agnes is Latin... For heavenly lamb. I don't know if they knew that. I hope they did. <laughs> but Agnes Deus, or Agnes Dei, ooh, I'm not, my Latin is terrible. Jack is here, he'll correct me later. But you'll see that on stained glasses across the cathedrals in Europe. And in many even American churches that have stained glass, you will often see a lamb, the lamb of God. So, Strange, we, we don't normally like to be called by animal names, do we? Call your spouse cow. <laughs> and show me the color of your eyes the next day. Call a policeman pig. And show me the color of his handcuffs. No one wants to be called a dog. No one wants to say they've got a bird brain. No one wants to say you have a pit bull personality. But for some reason, John and I, saw, eh, I don't know, we've got linguists in the congregation. Well, 
How many of you ever called a woman a fox? Well, that's a good name, right? Yeah, okay, you can go on that road. But you, usually, if you get called by an animal name, it's not in a positive way. But John makes the best statement about who Jesus is by saying, Behold the Lamb of God. And I will say to all those definitions I gave you earlier, yes, 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 yes. Because it all comes together in who Jesus is, the Messiah, the one that he needed to point out, just like the compass sermon, he is pointing once again, here he comes, here he is. I didn't even know him. He was here before me. And had I not been told by the Father that the one who I baptized when the dove came from heaven would be the anointed one, I wouldn't know. And I'm pointing to the Lamb of God. And that definition, the Lamb of God, I add to that latter part of that verse, who takes away the sin of the world, is the atoning part of what Jesus does. Now, most of us don't use the word atone or atonement that often in our modern conversations. Maybe you do. Maybe you all sit around and talk about Christology and eschatology and you use all these fancy words. Pierce does. I mean, and, and I understand about 90% of the time when he talks because he's over here, you know. But that idea of atonement means to make amends for a wrong, to do reparation for something, to, to pay for something that you've broken. How many of you were taught by your parents that if you broke out the neighbor's window, you're going to work to pay for that window? Or maybe if you came home and hit the neighbor's car, you would pay. F I didn't do that, so just, just some of you are already thinking that's where he's going. No, but I, I did that as a memory placer because if you've ever read um, J.D. Greer, uh, Searching for Christmas, it's a book I think he put out a couple of years ago. J.D. Greer was the pre past pre president of the Southern Baptist Convention, great communicator. He tells in that book a story that he's working with a Muslim trying to explain to him about forgiveness and about grace and about atonement. And the Muslim man says, well, I got what you're trying to tell me, but he said, if I wanted to forgive you, why would I kill my dog? And I thought that's kind of a backhanded illustration and a negative way of saying, why would you kill your son for my atonement? And J.D. goes on to say, well, take it, for example, if you hit my car and perhaps made it almost irreparable, totaled it, and you had no insurance. He said, I would have to, you know, I could have a couple things I could do. I could sue you, take you to court. Uh, potentially, he said, unless I had a Ferrari. And in his book, he said, no, I don't have a Ferrari. He said, you know, you would have to pay me over a number of months or even years to pay for my car. But he said, instead of doing that, what if I forgave you? What if I atoned for what you had done? by absorbing the damages myself, either paying for the repair of the car or replacing the car myself. That's what God does by sending His Son for you and I. That which we could not repay, that which we could not restore, we couldn't fix the broken window of our lives, but He gives us a new window and pays for it Himself through the blood of Jesus. The Muslim, he said, still was shaking his head trying to understand about the atoning work 
of the Lamb of God. Second today, the Lamb of God indwells, indwells. Another word that typically we don't use, and maybe I'm just showing you my limited vocabulary or my knowledge of words that I don't use very often. But outside of the church walls, and even sometimes even in church walls it doesn't happen, theological conversations cease. Now, I'm not talking about whether you should go to church on Sunday or, you know, roasted preacher that you have on Sunday afternoon or things like that. I'm talking about real theological conversations. But in these succinct verses that I've read, 29 through 34, we see sin, we see baptism, we see the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see the Son of God. That is a theological conversation that you can go and read those words to anybody this week and find yourself being able to share about the gospel of Jesus. I piggyback on that because this week, if you were paying attention, Father Andre Arango in Phoenix, Arizona, stepped down from his position as pastor of St. Gregory Catholic Church. Because someone reported the baptismal formula he was using was incorrect. With over a thousand baptisms to his credit, sounds like a, a bomber pilot, they got a thousand missions. He had said, instead of, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he was saying, We baptize you in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. That was a wonderful starting point for theological discussions here in our office at our Thursday morning coffee as we talked about baptism and the words that are said by the officiant or the words that are heard or understood the actions of the candidate. You know, we just baptized somebody last week in like 34 degree weather. I mean, 34 degree water. I mean, it was, it was cold. Caitlin was a real trooper to do that. And as I pondered that, and as we talked about it on Thursday, I first thought that the bishop should have immediately said, I have counseled Father uh, Arango, and he will modify his sacred formula in the sense of his baptisms, and those 1,000 plus baptisms are not in question, for God is good. That, that's the way Cliff would have responded if he was the bishop, and you know, let everybody kind of feel better, because, you know, as we talked about Thursday morning, once you start pulling the thread, if your baptism's no good and you married in the, in the church, then perhaps your wedding sacrament is no good. And perhaps if you died, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that can fall apart. So I thought that, that's the best way the, priest, I mean, the bishop should have done it. And I, I actually printed out uh, Father uh, Santiago Arango. I want to say his name wrong every time. Uh, I printed out his, his uh, resignation letter. He, he very humble. Uh, church loves him. Uh, and I thought, why, why did the bishop do it this way? But after discussing, you know, whether it's, you know, the phrases we say, we talk about what if the candidate is deaf? You know, and I know there are many preacher jokes. What if there's only the baptism, baptistry is only half full, you know, could you get him to lay down and roll around? And Ed knows that'd make him holy rollers, and we couldn't do that. 
you know, and, and there's all kinds of jokes about how much water is needed. But I came to this conclusion, and I think I have this in the, hopefully I made the slides, half of my stuff didn't work out this week. Show them the next slide, guys. Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So this is not the opportunity for Baptists to boast against Catholics on how they do baptism. It is not. It is an opportunity, and I think that the bishop perhaps was smarter than Cliff, which is not saying much, but the bishop was allowing our nation to have a conversation about salvation. He has, like, like a volleyball player, he has set you up to spike. Now, you don't want to spike it, that gives people get hurt. But, I mean, he has set you up, he has given you the lob to hit a home run at work this week. Because he caused those thousand Catholics to go back and look and see who baptized them. It made them reconnect with what they associated salvation to be the beginning of. And we even in our Baptist theology will say that baptism is the first step of obedience. The first act of obedience. So the, rather than make fun or boast, may each one of us hit a home run this week in our theological discussions. We see that John baptized, baptized those who were confessing their sins. And, and Jesus, he says, will baptize with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that then may dwell in you. And I believe that the Lamb of God indwells in the life of a believer. And as you heard me in an opening prayer to this sermon, I think sometimes in Baptist churches... We hear Holy Spirit and we run away. Preach. <laughs> Preach. My hearing's bad, but I think somebody's talking to me. Um, we, we hear speaking in tongues. We hear, you know, charismatic type thinking. And, and, and we run away from what the Holy Spirit is. It is God indwelled in you. That does not occur at a separate point. It occurs when Christ comes into you. I read one theologian this week, and I thought it wasn't a bad idea. How many of you have these water bottles that my daughter's got? You know, I don't know what you call those things. You know, the, the metal things that if you hit you, it knock you out. It's probably not a bad idea. Is that why you carry those? Because you're out, you know, bang, you can really knock somebody out. If you had a little bit of water in it, you could always put more in it, right? And, and it's the same way with the Spirit. When you get that water bottle, there's water in it, and the the relationship you have with God, it does, as you know, in all things, it kind of ebbs and flows. And sometimes you're very close in your faith. Sometimes you are practicing your faith so hard that that bottle is overflowing. And sometimes you feel like, God, you need to fill me again. Not that the Spirit has ever left, but you have put so many things in that bottle. You filled it with sand or jelly beans or money or whatever thing you want to put in there that it just doesn't seem to have room to do powerful things in your life. Indwelling, that word to indwell, that's translated in the Greek, indwell, means to take possession, to live inside, and it can't even mean to take over. Have you ever allowed something to take over you? 
I mean, we could go down the list of emotions. Anger takes me over many times. Temptation can take you over. Grief can take over your life. But let me bring it back down to cliff level. I've seen Pokemon take over my kids' lives. I saw rap music take over my kids' lives. I saw the Memphis Bell take over one of my kids' lives. I saw music take over another kid's life. I've seen Legos take over a grandkid's life. I've seen those little beaded things where you make necklaces and bracelets take over a granddaughter's life. And all those things sometimes ebb and flow as well. Music has stayed with this one. Airplanes, he thinks, will stay with him. I don't know. You know. Things come and go like that. But have you ever really allowed Christ, through his Holy Spirit, to take over your life? To dominate your life in all that you do? Because all these things might have influence on you. Money will take, take you over, and all you can think about is your money. I love cars. You know that. And sometimes all I can do is think about the next project or, or, or what I can do with this one. But at some point, I've got to say, in whatever aspect of our material life, this physical life, God, you've got to take over my heart, take over my actions, and let me live out this physical life with you in charge. Only Christ can take over your life and fill you with grace and forgiveness, mercy, and a love for one another when no one else seems to be loved or wants to love that person. He will make your obsession with Him your passion to live out each and every day. Now, I know Keela and Brian over there, and I don't normally call names out, but some, that's the only person I know that's got a Tesla, right? Are there other Tesla owners in here? Anybody else got a Tesla? And Brian actually got permission one day to take me for a ride in it because it's really keyless. And I won't say how fast he went, but it's super quick. I mean, and I've driven muscle cars, Corvettes, Porsches. I mean, I've driven some fast cars. It's like from nothing to, you know, it's gone. All because of a battery. And it's like, but I didn't hear the, and I didn't smell the gas. I got off the subject. Did you know, I don't know if your car, I got to ask her. Brian, I'll ask you because you probably already checked it out. They've done an upgrade on the software, or maybe it's always been that way, but it's the first time I discovered it was this week. There, and I think it got reported, why I, got, why, I got, why I know it, it got reported in January, and I saw some pastor had used this illustration, so here I am uh, jumping on that one because of cars. And now I've got to think about it. There's no videos today, but I've got three car illustrations from bingo to wreck cars to a Tesla. Um, but there are three modes that now you can operate your Tesla in. Chill mode average mode, and aggressive mode. Is that true? Have you, is yours that way? Always been that way? Chill? I don't, I don't know if it's a software update or not. Then this is for the automated driver, you know, the thing when you're kind of letting it do its thing. Chill mode, it drives slow. It has a lot of distance between the Tesla and the next car. And then it always stops at every stop sign. Average mode, it increases it doesn't increase. It decreases the distance between the Tesla and the next car. It rolls through some stop signs because it knows where they are. It just rolls through them and may not always signal. And I'm adding this. But it doesn't sound like it always signals on lane changes. Aggressive is a tailgating, running through stoplights, 
angry driver. My wife is laughing. Why, do, why are you laughing? I'm not that way. You would drive in aggressive mode. I know you would. And you know what? For once, I wish church members were aggressive, not in their driving, but in their proximity to Christ. Their willingness to roll through whatever roadblock it is to follow him versus chill mode. You know, I'm going to distance myself between Jesus. It's okay, somebody cut in front of me. Somebody else, something else cut in front of me. And the next thing I know, I tailgate the wrong thing or I start following the wrong car. And that's my last illustration. Mom and Beth had come to visit us years ago. This is the, the 98 to 01 time frame. Had walkie-talkies. I've got to get them out of town. They are driving back to Illinois by themselves. My dad was still alive, but Dad, I don't know why he wasn't down here that trip. And I just got to get him to 35, you know, Helotus. And we lived in Helotus then, so you just got to come around 1604 to 35, head north, you know, start looking for Dallas, then you look for Texarkana, then you look for Little Rock, then you look for Memphis, then you look for St. Louis, next thing you know, you're home, okay? It's that easy. And my dad would write maps like that. He would write the, the interstate, he would write this big city. I mean, and even driving across the, the, around the world, it's the same way. You're driving in Germany, you're driving in Japan. Trouble is, I couldn't read the, the sign in Japan. But, you know, if you can read the word, you know which way to go. Got walkie-talkies, I'm leading, and the next thing I know, they're not there. They're not behind me anymore, and I haven't driven that fast. We're on 1604, I can't find them. So I, I, I finally pull over, and they never come up behind me. It's dark, okay, which they don't drive much in the dark now anymore. And, and I'm, I'm waiting for them, you know, to come up and catch up with me. They don't, so I do a turnaround, and I start coming back, and I can hear this little voice of my mother, Cliff, I'm so sorry, <laughs> we can't find you. And I, hey, keep talking. You know, and, and, you know, with any signal, the signal starts getting stronger because I'm getting closer. You love that symbolism right there. You know, getting closer, closer. I can hear her. You can hear the word of the God, God, when you're closer to Him. And finally, she said, "We're at a, a green shamrock. I think it's shamrock. It's some kind of gas station." So I knew exactly where she was, and I pulled over. It's between 10 and 281. I pulled over and I said, "Get on my bumper." They had followed the wrong car. They got into behind another car that looked like them, and when that car got to the gas station, they realized it wasn't me, and now they're confused. So I said, stay on my bumper, stay with me. So if you will only do that in your life, if you will select aggressive following mode, not driving mode, stay close on the bumper of Christ. In fact, he actually wants to get in the car with you. And I'll tell you this, he wants to drive. I know so many of you say, I'm going to be the driver. No, no, no. Let him drive your life. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our Lord, as we come now to a time of invitation, the Lamb of God, what a wonderful title that includes so much that I'm not sure all of John's hearers even understood, and I'm not sure that in my shallow mind I can get it all either, but to understand that he who knew no sin, that perfect sacrifice came, a child from you, your only son, that he might be that payment, that restoration, that atonement that now indwells in us as believers. Lord, if there's someone here today that has never asked Christ into their life, I'll be standing here in front in just a moment, and I pray that they would come forward and we can talk and pray together. Perhaps there's something in their lives that they need your direction. They want to feel 
your forgiveness. They want to feel grace. They, they, they just want to share that with me or, or one of our prayer team. We'll all be standing here ready to go, ready to listen, ready to pray. So, Lord, if there's someone here that needs to respond, I pray that they would be aggressive in their pursuit of their faith. Hear us now, Lord, for I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.